0: Hey, pals, this is a show about my poetry. And that feels a little bit self-indulgent, but it's a way for us to talk through something that we've been going um, going around and around with, and this, this idea of spiritual anarchy. For us, um, this show is really about spiritual anarchy. Our lives are really dedicated to this concept. Um, however anybody else might define it, and there have been other attempts, For us, spiritual anarchy is a playfully sincere way of talking about a mystical awareness, the interconnection of everything, and all sentient beings, and how this awareness can help emancipate us, free us from all sorts of domination systems in the world. And it helps us unpack all of the unholy connections between capitalism, power, and religious ideologies. Now, another way of saying that is, by getting spiritually healthy, we're able to become better at political freedom, uh, political liberation for ourselves and others. And when we understand what's going on with respect to the cause of freedom in general, in life, we realize that there's a lot of ways in which religion works to trap us Not just in its own culty systems, but also religion has historically often supported the structures of society that keep us down. In other words, we believe in full-spectrum emancipation. We believe in the relationship between spiritual, economic, and political freedom. And we want to find that for ourselves. We think another world's possible, and we want to bring that out to everybody else. But that's a lot of concept. <laughs> so what I want to do for this show is share with you some of the poetry I've been working on that's helped me to express this idea that is at the center of what we do at Protect Your Noggin. But to express it through poetry, I'm chat with Stacy about it, see where it goes, friends. Thanks for being here. It's kind of a vulnerable thing for me to do, but it's also a really nice thing for you to do, because unless you are stuck in traffic... You might have something that could be better than listening to this podcast, but then again, maybe this is just what you need for today. Either way, thanks for taking a chance on old Jeff and Stacy today. Let's go. Right, right. Three, two, three. All ahead full. You just got that fire started. Fat, I didn't. I didn't even know when you started it. You are getting so good.
1: <laughs> yeah, at lighting
0: these fires well, up. And I, what was your secret today?
1: I, I well, I would say my secret always is egg cartons.
0: Egg cartons in the middle.
1: Egg cartons in the middle, then some toilet paper rolls. Oh, you use Lincoln log stack the.
0: Yeah. The Lincoln wood. lock stack and then it's over.
1: And then a few pieces on top.
0: No more smoking. No more wasting time with the starter I, stuff. No more I didn't
1: more. use any starter stuff. I didn't use any no. lighter fluid whatsoever. I just used a little little tiny lighter and lit the newspaper that was hanging out over the edge a little bit so that it can get all the other paper and egg cartons going before I before that took off and just got the wood.
0: Sometimes Stacy and I take a couple days off we go out on a weekend we've got a couple places we like that are near water in this case free although you got to have a discover pass Mm. you know it's a 30 dollar pass annually
1: for a year yeah
0: uh so heck yeah but we get out and we kind of have little writing retreats we're working on concepts workshop and stuff and um when we're going through this, I, I realized I haven't really been able to talk through with the dear listeners some of the poetry I've been working on. And heck, sometimes we yammer. At least I've edited this a couple times. And we can have some fun. But really, this, this is poetry that I've been doing around town here in Portland at different open mic nights and, and different events to kind of workshop these ideas I've had about where I'm at with respect to spirituality and I, wa- I want to be able to do it in a way that's unfettered. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm there yet. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm using the poetry is because I spent so much time writing, like, theology mm-hmm. texts or something, mm-hmm. you know, um, dealing in that realm and feeling always that I had to look over my shoulder. Yeah. Was I going to offend the institution? Was I going to be a heretic? You know. So here's the first one. And I really like this one to set it up because... It shows you that a lot of the time when I'm talking about stuff, even in my lectures, like at, uh, in the, the Tremeth lecture where I said, there's no academic freedom outside of Christian universities. And then if you think that that's what I'm <laughs> saying, you don't realize I'm on my way out of the Christian universities. But I said, I don't think a Christian, a truly Christian university is possible. Right. So, um, you know, maybe this is too playful. Maybe this is too cute. But I do like to encourage readers or listeners to Read between the lines. And that's kind of going on here with this first poem. This first poem is called Unbeliever. This is kind of my uncredo, if you will. This is my, um, my almost rascally um, b- denouncing of dogmatism, mm. but a little bit, I think you'll see, a little bit of hope for uh, a, a flame of faith of some <laughs> sort, if you will. But let's see how it goes. Unbeliever. Did I lose my faith... Since my apostasy, what do I believe? I don't believe anything anymore. I notice. I acknowledge. I love. I'm open to realities and experiences. I welcome new insights and new embraces. If I meet a fairy or a shape-shifting coyote or a goddess of mercy... I won't be so rude as to deny their existence. I will notice them. If they speak truth, I will agree with them. Yet even if a powerful Near Eastern God's priesthood tells me to believe in cruelty and domination, lest I plunge into damnation, I will blaspheme for the sake of love. You see... I won't believe dogmas of hate, even if they come from a mountaintop. I won't believe in lies, even those that come with heavenly bribes. I'm a spiritual anarchist. I'm a heretic, for God's sake. I'm an unbeliever, so I spread childlike rumors of the sacred that can yet be seen amid all the absurdities of our present unpromising hour. Maybe you'll sit and rest with me in the unbelievable for a little while. Together, we can learn to unbelieve for the sake of what the sages meant by spirituality. I don't know. I like that one in terms of what I figured out mm-hmm. about myself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have a guess of what, what am I trying to say?
1: <laughs> well, it, to me, it resonates with Allen Ginsberg, lay it all down lay everything oh down. yeah lay, lay down, down your mountain your mountain lay, lay down, down God, God. yeah uh, you can't if if you are you know if you're believing in something what are you, what does that mean what are you believing in rather than experiencing seeing opening mm. your eyes listening uh, I think it's easy for people to sometimes say oh yeah I believe in this or that but then Do they really and what does it mean to believe do they live it? Do they actually experience it? Is it what is it, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's like this it's belief that they believe. You know, I or pretending to believe some it
1: can be. And so I your poem, if there is something that's real, it doesn't rule out that real possibility and that and that it could exist and you could have conversation with whatever, or experience that trueness. But it's, it's the, I'm not going to say I believe just for the sake of saying I'm a believer. Right. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I think you're picking up on the one thing that I didn't want to get into in life, which was, you know, so angry about my religious upbringing that I'm a militant atheist, by which we would mean, I'm just... I'm just very convinced that there's nothing to be said about these conversations. And that's fine if you think that. But for me, there's something fun about saying, fine, I'm not going to deny any relevant facts Mm -hmm. or experiences. Right. So I I don't come at it. I'm not coming at this conversation about spirituality and the transcendent with some adamant perspective uh, a dogma one way or the other but i feel really good for the first time i don't know if you've caught this your own self mm-hmm. as we've gone on our exile i don't know what it is um that there is that there's a uh, a real joy in kind of the perspective of the Tao De jing that says you know it look i know this because i know it like this it's obvious just look around
1: yeah
0: right so that a lot of the the spiritual and physical truths of our world are relatively straightforward they're just hard to accept
1: i would say sometimes it's even hard to see it or hear it until you allow yourself to be open to that so yeah. for instance before we were bird watching i didn't realize how many birds would be around when we would go on hikes but then when all of a sudden we started bird watching they all came out of the mm. woodworks. I saw them everywhere, and I started paying attention and seeing, you know, seeing more and more. if there was that time where I told a story, or you know, it's true that I was like looking for my coffee mug, but I was looking for a red mug, and my coffee wasn't in a red mug. I could not see my coffee that was in a black mug right. because I was looking for a red mug, yeah, I so our cognitive it's our cognitive biases again, yeah, way.
0: it's but it's not, and this is the key for me at least, it's not the same experience I'm having now that I had 10 years ago, which was there's all of this cognitive dissonance. And my job is to use all of my intellectual powers that I can muster to try to convince myself and other people that the dogmas that we've been holding hold,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right? Like I don't like that world anymore. It's like, it's like kind of having, if it's true, it's true. If it's not Right. Fine. You don't but have like, to work
1: so hard. Like I, it'll I ha- be evident.
0: I had this feeling like that, that Yahweh, the God in the sky, was like an alcoholic father I had to keep making excuses for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When in fact I'm like, well, wait, if I just reframe the whole conversation um, in a more mystical direction, then that conversation changes altogether. And it's not about, again, I like, think for me, belief is like, I don't have, I'm using the word here in that sense of I don't have any real evidence or experience to back this up, I'm going to assent to it because I'm told I'm supposed to. Yeah. I don't believe that way anymore. I can't do that. Right. I don't think, I don't, that's not true to me. But if, in fact, I saw a werewolf, uh, well, like I, I,
1: You're not going to deny that I'm not going to deny
0: the phenomenon, right? So like I saw a shape-shifting coyote creature in the desert, not high, right? Like sleep deprived, yes, but we were, we were finding a place to camp. I probably didn't see it. It was probably in my sleep-deprived mind playing a trick on me. But my point is, I'm not, I'm not averse to saying yes to whatever I encounter and then engaging it and discerning and saying, yeah. you could call your, you could say you're the God of the Bible, but if you if you want me to do something cruel, I'm going to say no. Right. And you could be a foreign deity that I don't believe exists until now, and then you're, I'm not supposed to talk to you because you're from a different, <laughs> different system or something, and I'll say yes. It's it's a it's a thought experiment. This yeah. poem is a thought experiment to say if you met the the so-called god of the universe and he turned out to be a, a jerk would you give yourself permission to say no to that? Right. And if you met something very foreign and exotic but it turned out to be good, true and beautiful would you say yes to that? You don't have to say yes to any of it. But if it's true will you say yes to it? Right. <laughs> and
1: it that reminds me um of the prison experiment is it the Stanford prison experiment? Yes. It reminds me of the Stanford Prison Experiment, right? Where if people were put in certain roles, then they would act certain ways. Yes. And so that idea that I don't need to be, you don't need to be the <laughs> the gatekeeper, the guard for God trying to make this all work yeah. and trying to, it, you know, do his bidding when it When in fact, what he's doing is evil. Or
0: yeah, and I'm not. And again, we're not saying that that's necessarily true. But if you can't like live in the possibility, for me, spiritual anarchy is allowing yourself to live in the possibility that you'll say no to something that's unjust. Right. Even like Abraham saying, "Hey, don't like don't wipe out the whole city if we can find some friends." Now, of course, there's this. uh, This next one is called a trick and a treat, and this was the poem that I challenged myself to create as the scariest. Poem. In my case, this was spiritually scary. The scariest poem I could think of. One uh, Halloween, ween. Mm-hmm. You know, one Halloween Eve. Oh my gosh! As I'm talking, friends, I've got a
1: ember, an ember
0: on me. There we go. Inside, <laughs> it's inside, it. It. inside your jacket, between your jacket
1: and your t-shirt. Ooh, good like thing that. I have
0: like non-synthetic materials on. This is good because you know sometimes the synthetic material <laughs> just goes yeah. through like a like a, a tent. Okay, a trick and a treat. Wish to seek the truth? You shall find it. But I've got a warning for all those who dare to seek it. If you knock, the door will open. But then you'll face a new decision. You must choose between two more doors. One door leads to emancipation and the shedding of all fear. Through the radiance of love. The second door leads back to how it's been, but with the poignant awareness that you aren't forced to live this particular life. You chose this because door number one was too frightening. It had a sign that read, You must lose all to enter. So you didn't go in. And now, as you fall asleep, you worry. Have I committed the unpardonable sin? Which was the trick? Which was the treat? What is this loop I find myself in? Do you remember those moments as we were? I I think that was, I wrote that right before we made the decision to to Quit,
1: yeah, that we were a in
0: lucrative and secure job.
1: We we were in the camper truck,
0: by the way. When I say lucrative, I mean lucrative compared to what I've been doing lately, uh, to get extra money, which is a lot of fun. Uh, working uh, light security at the uh, at the sporting uh, arenas and stadiums, <laughs> which is a lot of fun, but I'm just saying, like, wow, it, it was like it was when you're actually a professor, it's you know, you get it's to good guard money. some VIPs, <laughs> but um. But, yeah, so like, but, so we were making that big decision That was We were in
1: the camper truck uh, hanging out at the parking lot of Huntington Beach area. I remember pretty mm. clearly we were kind of brainstorming on that poem. Mm. But, and it was g- coming up to fall because of the Halloween time. Yep. I do remember. Uh, and I do remember that, you know, we were sitting there, you know, another weekend and saying... You know, it just felt like this um, perpetual, well, loop, shall I say, yeah. you know, where y- y- can we go ahead, gather up, figuring, okay, we'll try to, you know, continue what we're doing, making a difference or whatever. And it just doesn't go anywhere. We're in the same spot. It doesn't matter how many years later. And eventually it's like, okay, when then, well, we gather the courage to walk away from yeah. from all of it. And see what's on that other side, because we know what this, that door looked like.
0: But it's scary to let it all go. Oh, it is. That's why it, that's so spiritual anarchy is scary, because even though it promises that there's a better world that's possible, <laughs> there is this fear that man, like letting go of what you know and what has been your safety blanket, mm-hmm. that's horrifying. And yet, on the other hand, there's this. This concept we've been talking about of the unpardonable sin. When you know darn well what's going on, but you don't do it.
1: And I think yeah, that's where you can't it will keep bothering you. It'll keep nudging you. You know, it'll keep Mm -hmm. irking at you. I don't know what the right word is, but like you'll still feel this unsettled feeling until you do that thing that you know you're supposed to do or that you yeah. And it might, that's the other thing too, often I I, I love the, there's a line where we were reading but it was saying that the truth is, is clear. The truth, you, you know, the truth, it's usually pretty simple, but it could yeah. be the darndest, hardest yeah. thing sometimes to do yeah, or what you to need do. to do. Do you have the courage to you do know. it? So. And we
0: were talking about this, um, at I guess it was Nalu Kava and somebody came up and she said, Wow, this like she she realized how scary it was. She said, I've got to make a decision.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately so we, we were hoping whatever, to reconnect for, with her. Yeah, I mean and if if there's it can be all sorts of different things in people's life, right? Yeah. What that door is, what, what it is that that might need to be switched up, that might mean that their whole world as they know it might change.
0: When I read that poem, people kind of instantly, I'm not saying everybody, but there are very many times when people say, oh, I know what he's talking about. But it's not what I was... Like, it wasn't my scenario. No,
1: it's just their own. They
0: know the conundrum. Like, I need to break up with this toxic relationship, but what am I going to do? Or
1: this job that maybe pays well, but is making me absolutely miserable, whatever that might be.
0: Whatever it is. You know,
1: all those different things. Who knows what it is? But anyway.
0: Doing what you know you should do. Thinking what you think. and (laughs) Following your feelings. These are hard things sometimes emotionally.
1: And my death doula self says, if you know... And you feel like you know that this is something that needs to happen. And if you never do, at end of life, those are the, the things that people do regret. Mm-hmm. They regret not trying. Yeah. You know they regret. Hmm. What? What could? What would that have looked like? What would my life have been had I had done? Yeah. X, Y, or Z.
0: Late forties guy finding himself and trying to write poetry and reading it open mic nights. Sounds very cliche. Is cliche. (laughs) Is a lot of fun. You know what else is cliche? Sitting on the couch and not doing that. (laughs) So I'm picking the the cliche that's more fun. And here's one where uh, to to lighten the mood a little bit. Thank you. Um, This is one of my favorites. Uh, This one is uh, intentionally ambiguous about whether it's to you, because it is, to uh, kind of (laughs) guanyin, which it is, to Ruach, that like the, the the feminine principle of the Holy Spirit, which it is, and also it's playing with the fact that I can do this. It's kind of like erotic love poetry mm. to you and to the Holy itself, and um, and that this is my exercise in something that I never would have thought was acceptable within you know within kind of our old milieu, if you will. She is the Tao, is what it's titled. She is the Tao. She is the Tao. I am the 10,000 things. She is the Tao. I am the spirit. She is the void. I am the spirit. She is the void. I'm the vanity of all vanities. She is the stillness. I am the madness. She is the fullness. I am the art. She is the fullness. I'm an infant's wail. She is the formula. I'm drunk on the emptiness. She is the formula. I am the alchemist. She's whatever is hovering over the vast, vast surface. I am the waves on her surface. She is the. She is the deep. Now it really is kind of for you and about you, as the personification of this.
1: The you being me or the listener. No, <laughs> no. the you <used> Stacy, <laughs> right there.
0: But. Um, but it also has to do with this really wacky mystical concept you had one day when you were meditating and you said this thing that sounds so absurd and silly and it's probably not true, that men cannot be saved. Which <laughs> sounds like the opposite of what you find in the Gospel of Thomas. This is, you know, the male disciples say, hey, how can this woman be a um, uh, an apostle? And Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas says something like, well, you know, through... Through understanding this deep reality, she'll be made into a, a person, into a man. And I don't think it's as sexist as it, as it sounds in our translations, but I'm not quite sure what's going on there. But the main point is that
1: um, I don't, I don't hold to that. By
0: the way. Well, no, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, there are some interpretations of the, this is a side issue, but there are some interpretations of the Gospel of Thomas that are basically saying that it's playfully saying that the men didn't get it. And that Jesus is actually honoring Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. and they're just screwing with them. Gotcha. Like, there, there's interpretations that I used to never believe it. I used to say, no, this is definitely sexist, but I, I tend to see a lot of the Gnostic texts as making fun of the men disciples mm. and denying that essentially Mary Magdalene could have been, or at least was, you know was right? <laughs> um, an apostle. Mm. Something that people find really problematic, right? Mm-hmm. So it's also kind of like love poetry to the idea of the of ruach, the spirit that's hovering over the surface of the waters, in the Hebrew texts. And the main thing, though, is that the idea when you were saying that men can't be saved, mm-hmm. this kind of led more to a, like this archetypal sense of the yin, the yin principle of the world has this undyingness. Mm and then the then the man's yang yang
1: has like a inner, is a
0: ripple yeah. it is it is a it is a, a, a I don't even know if this is is certainly too simplistic, but that this yang principle is a shout is a roar that is an ongoing and maybe eternal pattern, but it is not itself permanent it, it's a wave, it's a ripple rather than a then the water itself is kind of where I'm going with it. And we often think of the yang as the nothing mm-hmm. and the, I'm sorry, we think the of the yin as the nothing and the yang is the something. But I, I think where I was playing, where I, I was see. playing with this is the, the eternal thing is the ocean mm-hmm. and the, the human drive for ego. The ego is a pattern. It might be an interesting pattern, but it's, a, it's, it's not a something. It's a something on a, Substrate. It's on yeah. a. Um, but the
1: whole thing is the dance, and the whole you, you don't. That's have, right. You don't, you don't have anything without right. You need both
0: yin and yang
1: pieces, and it's the dance and play of yeah. each of them together.
0: I could yeah
1: adds beauty as well as um, form in right. a certain sense to each other.
0: I could have added, and maybe I will. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm going to add it right now. I'm going to add it right now. I am the alchemist. She. Is the strings? I am the chord. There we go. I might take that out later. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, I'm not gonna do this one. She is the hard drive. I am the software. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what mm-hmm. I'm saying is, there's this, mm-hmm. uh, there's this interplay between these things that you, you're right. You can't have one without the other. But to me, that the most important thing about that is that it was just fun for me to be able to play with yeah. something, a way of dealing with spiritual poetry that was nothing like anything else I had done.
1: Right, right.
0: Or at least not consciously, because a lot of the evangelical songs we used to sing had a kind of erotic element to it that we didn't quite realize. And at the time,
1: coming out of us out of a, tradition that only was really honoring the yang, and, yeah. and that's also still one-sided. Oh, yeah. That. It was necessary to sort of lift up and, you know, mm-hmm. give notice <laughs> to what, what the yin is and that mm-hmm. yin energy and, and all that it is and does and allows the yang to be.
0: Would you, perchance, read Two Evangelists and a Response? This is a poem that we wrote together. I will. Two Evangelists and a Response.
1: On the boardwalk yesterday, a sunburnt preacher asked, Where would you go if you were to die tonight, kid? But in a dream that night, the ghost of the Crenshaw cowboy asked, If you died tonight and awoke tomorrow at one with the infinite consciousness, what part of you would mourn a loss? What part of you would claw back after your old stash? Listen, friend. Whenever you're afraid or anxious about anything, stare that down and tell it what you found. You know what to say. No need to rush it. Here's what we're thinking these days. When we hear a good message, we will proclaim it from many hilltops. And so we will die on any hill upon which you might find us, if you insist. For we plan to only inhabit hills for which we ought to die.
0: That one was really important to us. Probably also in the in the truck camper. Yeah, and yeah, it, it's probably. a different way. I mean, like obviously it's a similar theme. We're still asking, you know, like is it worth career suicide over this particular matter, or you know, like.
1: Well, and and yeah, yeah and and deciding, you know, what what hills we might find ourselves on mm-hmm. because... Maybe
0: don't go there, too, if you don't want to. D-
1: yeah, don't to, go there yeah. if it's not necessary. But on the other hand, we didn't want people to think that we were being flippant about the hills yeah. that we were standing on. You know? like that Yeah. We weren't was, just messing around. We're not just messing around. We're not just trying to get a rise out of people no. or, or just, you know, I don't know, just for attention or
0: yeah or just because we were in bad moods or something no, like this is this is we're talking about the most important teachings about existence in the universe, and so this is this is better this is more important than life and death mm-hmm. right And I think this you know of course, this relates to this dude that we um, uh, used to run into through hope Kitchen, he was interviewed. Uh, by our friend Matthew Apupura, we've mentioned this before. The
1: Crenshaw Cowboy, the Crenshaw
0: Cowboy, and he was a groovy man. He would just he would talk about all sorts of cool mystical stuff. And my, my point is that even though sometimes he might sound a little bit funny, you know, like you know he's having he's having fun with some some crazy cool concepts. The Crenshaw Cowboy is it was thoroughly engaging and far <laughs> more uplifting than a lot of the. <sighs> sermons I heard over the years? And that's not even to knock the pastors so much as they weren't given the opportunity to do something astounding like the Crenshaw Cowboy could. Because <laughs> the Crenshaw Cowboy, spiritual anarchist, sitting on the corner.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's his own saint.
0: And um and it's not just about him, it's this idea that like this to me is the way to not fear death. Mm. Like there's nothing to claw back after. Like if you if you can really find that awareness of oneness with the holy, with ourselves, with each other, with the earth. If you understand that and you, you really let it sink in for a second, um, then you can deal with death. And yet people often use the fear of death to get you to join their sect because they're going to tell you that you know they've got the answer so you're not going to go to hell or something. Right? Well, and
1: I think, I think that... Uh possible unknown is so scary to people Mm -hmm. that if they have an answer, if they know, if they can say for, Oh, this is exactly what is happening. It somehow might make things easier for them to perhaps, you know, deal with the situation or, or know what words to say. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, I think that's a piece of it too, is when somebody, when you see somebody suffering, and in, in, with with loss mm. and, or you yourself are suffering with loss it really is like one of those times where you just throw your hands up and like what like there aren't words mm-hmm. there's you really can only just stand in solidarity with those that are in loss and mourning mm-hmm. hug them be there for them mm-hmm. um explaining away what all might be happening you know is is sometimes it just might fall short uh but having but i think it comforts people to think that like if i just oh i say that i you know i'm praying for you Mm -hmm. uh or i send my condolences like there's like pad answers that we say these are the appropriate things to say in these in these times and some people do find Comfort from some of that, but I think, really, when people are dealing with loss, the a hug from somebody, you know, uh, just being there with somebody as they mourn, and as a just just so they know they're not alone, right? That there's somebody there that is a witness to all of this. I don't know. There's that piece that just. I think um, being there is far more important than saying things mm. or, or trying to comfort with
0: words. And in all of it, a, a conjured up belief in something that you might not fully believe in, it doesn't even seem as intelligible. Yeah. I don't know if this is true for everybody, but I just I get the sense that when I notice that people have come to terms with their mystical connection to the infinite... It kind of like whew, you, you get a little bit of a breath of peace. Mm-hmm. Now sometimes you forget it and you you fail to be awakened to this. But the idea that I'm constantly kind of working myself up into a state of belief in something that is mainly giving me just the peace of mind that I'm not going to go to hell, but not really much else by way right. of peace. That's uh, that's a that's a rough business. And I like what you said about kind of. I think you mentioned solidarity with the suffering. I think that this last, well, second to last poem, um, "Tucson at Last," is its title. Um, something comes out of our travels to Tucson, which was beautifully desperate. I don't, I don't know how to say it. Um, I think it was Billy Soddelmeyer. Uh, there's this kind of uh, desert rock. There's this. Uh, beautiful bleakness that I haven't seen anywhere else, but it was very healing, kind of like it uh, burnt out all the toxins or impurities or something like this. Tucson, at last. I keep moving since every piece of dirt I pay to borrow for a time eventually gets overrun by the cockroaches of success. Visitors call it a dry heat. Locals Call it a dry hate. I call it a furnace that burns out chemical impurities, ego adornments, truck engines, and indie bands, leaving behind fossils of last hopes and those goddamn cockroaches who will dance over it all. They will surely be witnesses to Babylon's fall. Dear Tucson, at last I arrived... I love you. I thank you for revealing the futility of rebuilding and the joy of reimagining the life that's possible when the desert sky orgasms and re cracked ground, bringing Baja fairy dusters to life so far from their original home in old Mexico. Tucson, at last, you've convinced me that the best way to quench my thirst is to become the dust and of course that becoming the dust or becoming one with the dirt comes straight out of the Tao Te Ching Mm. and I realized yeah this does resonate with part of my tradition ashes to ashes dust to dust but doing this not just in a way of of uh, of a threat Mm. you know and I don't think that's true like on Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday always used to be my favorite Mm -hmm. holiday you know in the liturgical calendar. But um, but kind of breaking down my ego. How'd you like Tucson? Because that's my second favorite. If I didn't go to Portland, I might have wanted to stay in, in Tucson.
1: I loved our time there. I It would be fun to go back and see when we weren't. Going there, when seeing some of these amazing musicians, you know, musicians and things like that. Like mm. you know how
0: like mariachi luchadores was <laughs> walking I by.
1: Feel about it? it there was a, it was a magical moment at that time for sure. Uh, as they, as a bumper sticker said, <laughs> something about Tucson, the, a dry hate. That's
0: where I got that line. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> and, and it's very hot. <laughs> it was very hot, and it wasn't like you know, like dry heat, you know, or whatever. Like it's like, oh, like. Oh, At least it's a dry heat because that's what you know yeah. usually people say, well,
0: but, but it
1: was so hot, yeah, that it was like it's a dry heat, like, and the
0: earth um, is getting hotter, yeah, but it was and drier, but it was really crazy <laughs>
1: when all of a sudden this like storm rolls in, oh, yeah, and it just starts raining, and there's just something that like changed in the whole atmosphere. Oh, it
0: was so beautiful, hardly a more beautiful thing
1: that it. Yeah, and like the smell of the earth, like when that fresh rain on that hot asphalt is like steaming up and rising, mm-hmm. and just the way that everything smells like refreshed. And like it, it really was like you're so hot that you don't need to run out of the rain. Like you're mm-hmm. happy to get drenched by it. It's like mm-hmm. going for a swim on a, you know, a hot summer's day. And it was very, it was, super beautiful. And then there's something that just breaks in the air and it just softens it enough to Mm. make everything tolerable and then magical and better than tolerable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's It's, like way tolerable, but it's like, yeah, this like moment of release. So then I'm
0: thinking, yeah. So then I'm thinking, wow, this is great. I really need to get me some more rain and, and and what better place than to go live near my brother in Portland (laughs) where it rains, you know, a lot. And, um, And I, at first, you know, really enjoyed it, and it's definitely going all right for me. I I was, I was a little worried. We get enough time outside. We walk a lot of places, so it wasn't. uh, It's not been as bad as when I lived near the Puget Sound, where it was pretty much always gray on me, and I got the seasonal affective disorder a little bit worse. And uh, we were also living under some trees, you know. Anyway, so I've been doing pretty well. At the same time, I was having a bad patch. I was feeling kind of down a couple months ago. And it had been raining for for some time. It was it was pretty wet. And I found myself on a street. Okay, this is this is these are the key facts here that matter. There's a street here in Portland called Failing Street. Okay, which is great and horrifying at the same time. Um, and then, uh, remember, friends, my name is Jeff. And uh, I saw this this truck. This is a poem that I wrote after having a really bad day, feeling really, really down, really close to despair, utter despair. And I saw this truck and something written on it. That's the subject of this poem. And um, uh, and it kind of startled me enough to to kind of snap me out of it, but it also was uncomfortable and bleak. It's called Fabrication. Fabrication. I'm not sure it's my best... Poem in terms of crafts and, and artistry. <laughs> but uh, it definitely is my favorite observation because it, rem- um, it reminds me of something I'm working with uh, at the end of the, the academic year here with the eighth graders. And that is this uh, idea that comes out of France, psychogeography, where you just get lost. We talked a little bit about it when we were getting lost on the motorcycle. But this is one of the first great. Observations that I've had as I've been doing this wandering and, and looking for synchronicities in the urban landscape and looking beneath the surface and, and trying to really let the city be an oracle card for me. All right. This one was a little too much of an oracle card. <laughs> Again, the poem's called Fabrication. It's my last one. Thank you, friends, for indulging. Moi. Fabrication. It was as soggy as ever that evening I wandered down Failing Street. I was not feeling like a winner. I was trying to imagine the melody my late son might have draped over his unfinished lyrics about God pissing on his face. My friend, who's stuck in Tehran, uses a Farsi version of that metaphor when he's held back from his living children by religious zealots, who misread Rumi. Not like us. We get him just fine. But we've lost the recipe for his wine. Now back in Portland, I was smoking from a pack I could no longer afford, fighting the sickness unto death, a despair that's more frightening than lung disease. Just then, a pickup truck drove by. Its logo read, Jeff Made. Its subheading said, Fabrication. Was this stroll down Failing Street my predestined path, my karmic destiny, my pain that refuses to let me die but promises I'll become stronger? Did I sign up for this madness before the world was born? Or are such thoughts just pious torments from the ghost of Ram Das? Is this last spiritual bypass the last great temptation faced by pilgrims on avenues without Bodhi trees? Did I escape the shadow of Jonathan Edwards' angry Calvinist God only to find out that the demiurge with fatalistic intent Was me all along? Am I the architect of this living hell? Did I decree my own reprobation? Am I in a fabricated Gehenna? Jeff made. If so, I've got a nasty Yelp review coming for this Jeff guy. I think I'll entitle it, That bastard's ego must die. Now, all sorts of fun stuff going on there, <laughs> but what am, am I thinking about the, the Ram Das thing? Yeah. Okay, so maybe you could help us.
1: Well, Ram Das and, and other sometimes spiritual folks would say that somehow prior to entering into this world we have all consented to whatever life's and that we're that we're given which include all of its traumas as well as right. its victories so it's the whole package mm-hmm. and that perhaps there's maybe some lessons that you've opted to try to learn in this lifetime and that some of this is all part of the process but it's the whole idea that you've given consent to your current experience no matter what sort of hell you might find yourself in at the moment mm-hmm. and you've always struggled with that idea of saying like that that didn't well I don't think that rang true
0: well it's certainly you, upsetting as well as I don't know if it yeah there's certain things that ring true we were talking about how in the Tao Te Ching, we find it refreshing that most of it is just you state it, and you think about it, and you say, "Yeah, of course, that's true." This is more like when I hear, like I like I say in the poem, Calvinists saying, "Well, I know this seems like a really upsetting thing that happened to you, but you I have an ideology that fix it." it. <laughs> well, no, in the case, yeah. well, no, no, in the case of the Calvinist, it was you didn't ask for no. it, but before the world was yeah. made, God established this. So at least it's it God's just fault. is this is this is the fate, though. This is fate. So what are you going to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's like take comfort in the fact that it's faded Mm -hmm. or how different, and I'm saying not very different is that from what Ron Doss would suggest that I'm the Calvinist God predestining my own life to happiness or sadness. And so first of all, I don't, I don't have any reason to believe that's true. I have a lot of reasons to believe that that makes us feel better about the randomness of the world. But I think that's exactly the opposite of what say um, the book of Job is trying to accomplish by saying there's a lot of just random bad stuff that happens.
1: Well, that's basically, you're you're trying to like, and that's basically the doubt Jing in Lao Tzu is basically saying, yeah, the straw dogs that, that basically there's, and they kind of like, there's no reason, you know, reason that things might go this way or that it's Mm. just as it just is. And it, it unfolds the way that ever it's, you know, that it is unfolding and so it's not like the universe is trying to shine down beauty and all these wonderful things on one person and torment and hell on somebody else but the sort of the randomness of when you when life flows and that we are all if we are all just beings that are act or, you know, acting, not actors, but like we're actually acting in this life Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form, what we do affects another person based on where we show up at any given place or time. Yeah. And that whatever that interaction might be can be completely random.
0: Yeah. And, and that I think helps us, you know, I know Slavo Zizek points out that, that he believes that the book of Job is the oldest great critique of ideology. And that in a way, whether it's the Hindus or the Calvinists, the Hindus defending the caste system, the Calvinists defending capitalism Mm
1: -hmm.
0: or whatever, that's the thing that I, that always makes, makes me realize that there's a, when I think about spiritual anarchy, I think about the importance of not allowing any, priesthood or religious ideology make us feel complacent or okay with injustice shadism, caste system say in India right or um, the idea that the reason that white Europeans were able to take over America is because it was predestined mm-hmm. right like you mm-hmm. can justify a whole lot of non nonsense and you can ignore the suffering of a whole lot of folks and even yourself if you I'm spiritually bypass it's,
1: if it's God-ordained, or this is how it was meant to be. Now, if
0: that's the case, and we're all playing a video game, so be it. That's interesting or fun. But I, I just, I, f- I find it a little bit, I mean, you know, here's a, here's a guy, a white dude from from Harvard. Yeah, you got kicked out for doing LSD. But ultimately, you're still coming from a rather privileged position to be able to say that. Sometimes when you say that, it makes me realize, have you really understood the bleakness of existence Although and you know, I think, I think you'd seen kids starving in Bangladesh. So it's hard to know, but I,
1: I think it's it's that kind of falls in line with the same thing that people often want a leader. They want they want a design to something. They want to know that because here's the thing: the other, the opposite. If it's just random, anything can happen to you at any moment. Yeah, and that's and, psychologically
0: distressing. And
1: that can be distressing, right? Yeah. How do I avoid this or that thing? Or you know, so I think that there's sometimes comfort that people find in thinking that I mean it goes to the same thing as when some when something happens that's bad to somebody then they say they try to find the reason Mm -hmm. they try to blame it on something oh you know like what you like whatever it was like they were driving too fast or they you know or yeah, they were wearing the wrong clothes or any right. anything like that.
0: Don't fly that airline. You
1: know, yeah. yeah, whatever it is that you you know put on it, you have to come up with this reason so that that your loved ones are safe, that you're safe.
0: You yeah. know, and the better way when you say, "Stacey," is a death doula is to face our mortality, to yeah. face yeah. the risk that is inherent and in it, existence,
1: and that that is part of. Yeah, it's part of just what happens. In order, if if you are alive, <laughs> and free, then, then you have yeah. then then at some point that you will not be alive, yeah. and so the very and
0: there are going to be risks along the way. Of
1: course, yeah. yeah, and and so by, you know, I guess you can live your life in fear, or you live your life in ways that you feel is honoring to what, you know, what you want to do here on this earth and the things that bring you joy that, you know, I would hope that ways that you can show love to yourself and other human beings or any beings around you, Mm -hmm. right. All those things. uh, I, you know, hopefully that's the path, you know, that Mm -hmm. maybe that we're on and then things happen along the way, you know, during, during that. But you can't, I mean, if you are always looking over your shoulder, that's no way to live either. The data Jing speaks to that too. There's those that are just always trying to avoid death. Yeah. And there's those that are trying to run themselves into the ground mm-hmm. and, you know, either, you know, silently killing themselves or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be through all sorts of substances or anything. Like, there's all sorts of different ways that, anyway, the point is, is are you living or are you? Afraid of dying your yeah, whole life.
0: That's a good way of putting it. And the spiritual anarchist ways to say, like, no, like, we actually, this is a time to live, and this is a time to act. I think the idea, too, that, uh, with that poem, I do recognize, and I, and I totally do agree, I think one of the teachings that I had when I was looking at the, the truck, when I saw the truck was, okay, I'm mad about all this Ram Dass predestination stuff. That's more of just a, a, a fanciful, mm-hmm. you know, thinking through the, the problem. But there's mm-hmm. another sense in which my ego is creating this problem. Cause one of the reasons, one of the reasons I was so sad is I'm like, Oh, I'm failure. I'm weak. I'm not able to take care of you and the, the family and, and financially the way I want to. Um, <clears throat> I'm a bum now, <laughs> you know, like, I wasn't feeling powerful. That's why I say I wasn't feeling like a winner on Failing Street. Mm -hmm. And um, that I've been, you know, I've been working every day. (laughs) You know, I mean, not every day. (laughs) As a a professor, it wasn't every day. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, I was. But also, on the other hand, I was always thinking and working on stuff, even on the weekends. Point being, um, I was still at it. I was working hard. Yeah and um i had made the decisions that led to this so i shouldn't have felt so bad but like as far as as long as egos in in the picture as long as the egos in in, um in the scene for me and i and i give it some space to to get at me it's it's gonna be it's gonna be painful um but really I had been able to do something that is to get free. You know, if you go back to the earlier poems we read, something that was really scary. So yeah, Yeah. the results aren't easy. It's not easy to try to rebuild your existence, but um, I was allowing my sense of economic worth or, uh, you know, career status or something to dictate me just for a moment. And that was the fabrication. Because as, a, you know, Jesus, the hippie who lived in an RV in uh, Northern California, told me, um, uh, you, don't, you don't need that stuff.
1: His name Let was go. Lord.
0: His name was Lord Jesus. That's right. I, I call him Lord. His name was Lord. Lord in pebbles. Lord <laughs> Jesus. But you know what I'm saying? So he's, he's right that the part of me that wanted to have land that, that needed to be uh, a man or prove that I was a man of some worth because of some thing that attached to myself yeah. that I adored my ego with, that that was the sickness I needed to let go of. And so in the end, whether it was seeing just like rusting old parts of cars in in the, the desert of Tucson, uh, surrounding Tucson or coming to my wits end in the exact opposite, uh, kind of precipitation level <laughs> of uh, Portland and the sogginess of Portland, Um, As long as I let my ego dictate my ability to be at peace with the world, I'm not going to be at peace. And so it's not like you can ever get rid of the projection that you have to the world. You've got some kind of ego. But letting the ego dominate the conversation is what was causing me a lot of agitation. And I feel better now, although I must say. It's not raining.
1: <laughs> it <laughs> and is you're not on Failing once, Street.
0: <laughs> right. Once it starts... No, I love Failing Street. Uh, that's, where the, uh, that's where the drum store is. Uh,
1: I really wish the know. property values were a little bit lower on Failing Oh, Street. I don't even
0: care. I wish there was a house I could buy on Failing Street because I would love to have that as my address. It's funny, like the Lucky 13, but more importantly, um, it's funny, I think, that... I don't know if it would go down this way in some other city, but Portland is is groovy enough to not really care that it sounds silly, right? Like there, yeah. there's something oh, really courageous, and yeah. and it's a power move, it's a flex to be able to keep that street. Yeah, you know, we also have a we also have a street that's called Couch Street, but it's actually pronounced Cooch Street, which I think also is 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 interesting and brave. <laughs> and uh, but like, why not? Like we we don't care. We we don't we 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 got to be us, you know? Like we do our thing here. You you, you can. You can scoff all you want. You can you can make your uh, WTF Portland uh, TikTok videos. You can drive through from uh, Seattle to uh, Portland and and show how horrible it is here with the whatever you think liberals are, are contributing to the <laughs> unhoused population or whatever. But um, but I, ultimately, it's a it's a groovy town because it has a place. It has a street called Failing Street, and you can change it to Pleasant I'm always, Gardens.
1: <laughs> I'm always reminded that there is this street in Portland when we're driving. Underneath the freeway. Or the freeway. Sorry. And driving underneath the bridge that says... Failing bridge, <laughs> and
0: like is that something?
1: Yes, that's
0: pretty cute. it says failing, and then VR?
1: And I'm like,
0: oh my gosh, right now, we're, like, u- we're, <laughs> we're under the failing bridge. Yeah, like
1: okay, that's that's one step <laughs> too far.
0: That's one step too far. We don't want to be
1: on that. I don't want to be underneath that before it goes. But anyway, hey
0: friends, for me though, I'd say like <laughs> if you, you know, you maybe if I did nothing better than teach you that it's okay to have like mediocre poetry that at least means something to you and helps you process what's going on. In your heart, uh, do it yourself. It's been really fun. And if, you, if you're if you lucky enough to be close, if you're in a metropolitan area or anywhere that has open mic nights, give it a shot. It's always nice to be able to get feedback and then start conversations with folks. Um,
1: well, and it's, yeah, it's a good way to start processing through things and and really coming to terms of facing reality with, you know, maybe where you're at at a moment, right?
0: So... Take a take a shot at fighting evil with poetry, as Micah would say. And in the meantime,
1: deep peace upon peace. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends.
0: But he said that wasn't any letter. He said that was going out of my mind. Not going
1: out of your mind. You're slowly
0: and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter no too much.